Let me tell you about the best Christmas ever. Everyone was at my great aunt's house for Christmas that year. Great grandparents, aunts, parents, siblings were all sitting around Granty's living room, keeping warm while outside there was an idyllically white Christmas. Okay, I might be making up the snow as most Christmases in Calgary seem to be brown, but this memory feels like it needs to be perfect. There was a tree inside, all decked out with the yellowish-orangish lights, which I maintain are the only appropriate color for Christmas lights. They give that perfect lighting to the memory. Do you know what I mean, that sepia feeling? I don't remember who handed me the present from under the tree or who bought this gift for me, but I do remember opening it up, seeing a cover made of burnt oranges titled Star Wars, I-I-I, Revenge of the Sith. I also learned Roman numerals that Christmas. I was nine years old, or as some might say, a few months shy of my 10th birthday. All I knew about this box set was I was a huge Star Wars fan, and the gold bars that said widescreen meant it was formatted right. My dad didn't teach me much about film, but he did teach me Star Wars was awesome, and widescreen was a good thing. I can only imagine we watched the movie twice that night just like I would on so many other nights. I remember asking all year when Revenge of the Sith would be coming out on DVD. I don't know if that's because I wasn't able to watch it in theaters or if it was because I did watch it in theaters and couldn't wait to see it again and again and again. Either way, this movie made a really clear impression on me. We open on Anakin and Obi-Wan flying into battle with their little starships. This was what it was all building to the banter, the buzz droids, and finally skidding onto Grievous's command ship. Since this is a podcast, I just have to mention how epic the transition into this battle is. The Jedi are high above the planet Coruscant and come whizzing around a Republic Star Destroyer to join the fight. The sound design starts off somewhat calm before, almost muted. And then the battle comes into view, a sign of the absolute chaos about to ensue. All right, let's dig into that opening scene. So I know you started talking about it. I think one thing to note is that the opening scene, it is three minutes of these starfighters flying through an intergalactic battle with no cuts. Three minutes, no cuts. And if you're looking at a movie that's about 150 minutes like this one, or 140 minutes, that's like 2 to 3% of your entire movie is this one unbroken scene of starfighters flying through an intergalactic battle. And that starts to give, and it's as impressive as the opening scene, I think, in A New Hope, is it gives you this sense of scope and the magnitude of the battle that's been going on and that we're in the thick of the Clone Wars. And it does that without making you watch like three or four seasons mm-hmm. of a children's show. Was that was that a dig? Was that a dig? <laughs> Maybe a, a slight yeah, dig, yeah. yeah. But you get... You get. I, <laughs> I guarantee, I guarantee. So for context... If you don't know already, we're doing another podcast called I Promise the Clone Wars is Awesome, where I'm trying to convince Andrew that the Clone Wars is awesome. And so we're watching a selected uh, series of of the show, uh, all the best parts, so that I can really convince uh, Andrew. The second episode is coming out next week if you want to tune into that. But tr- trust me, Andrew, you're going you're gonna to love, you're going to eat those words. We're, you're going to love the okay, Clone Wars. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. But I mean, there's other scenes you get in this intergalactic battle where you just like you see them shooting artillery shells in the 
droid like you see the underbelly of the the battleships right something you'd never seen in star wars before it was always like they're lasers they just it's a light beam like it just comes out of nowhere same as a light bulb like whatever but no they've got like artillery shells and people are blowing up and it's like uh it's like a Pirates of the Caribbean style space battle. Yeah, right? it's epic. It's epic. And the way the sound that it makes when it comes out, when it falls out, how loud that is. Like these are big shells. This is a big fight. And you start seeing like the the Republic cruisers are very, very similar to the future Imperial cruisers. So we start to see, you know, oh, this is where the Empire got their design from. And- yeah. Yeah, you can see it's all starting to come together throughout mm-hmm. uh, something I, I noticed upon rewatching it like twice in preparation f- for this is that there's there's the song that just like builds and builds and builds. All the music in this movie just builds and builds and builds to, to this moment of climax. Like we know, we, the interesting thing about this is we've known the whole time where this is leading. We know the whole time the fate of Anakin. And to be able to make an incredibly compelling trilogy, in my opinion, I know others might disagree, but a, 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 a compelling trilogy about the story of somebody we already know the fate of, and to make you feel that all over again, to make you feel with the music, with the, the lighting, with the hair and makeup, like everything that went up into this film all of it to make you feel oh this is like what it's been building to and give you that anxiety right give you that feeling of oh here it comes right to still feel kind of surprised about how it happens even though you know where it's going like how did we get there right and then building the tension along the way as soon as they crash into dooku's ship and they come swinging out lightsabers like just they jump out of the ship's before the ships have even finished crash landing and they're swinging lightsabers and cutting droids in half and all, and they're working in sync and they're working in harmony. That does a lot to build that these two have now become friends. Yeah. And when they talk about the trap, oh, it's a trap. Mm-hmm. Next move. And Obi-Wan says, spring, spring the, the trap. trap. Right. And they smile and they, you know, they've been doing this for so long. You, you get that sense that time has passed between now and Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones, he's still, Obi-Wan's still trying to teach him everything. You know, this this weapon is your life, you know, like still telling him, telling t- telling him. But now they're brothers. Yeah. It's not a father-son relationship anymore. It's a brother relationship, which I love. And the, like um, one of the banter, some of the banter about R2, no, no split wire jokes, okay? He's been trying really hard. And that like... I remember seeing that in the theater and like everybody just erupting because Star Wars hadn't been light for two movies. There mm-hmm. was no kind of Han Solo jokester character in the last two. They tried with Jar Jar Binks to, you know, disappointing reception and then Attack of the Clones. They just didn't make any jokes. And now all of a sudden we've got this light and breezy kind of dialogue that we're used to in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, they're they're friends. And I, I mean, I I think the the whole relationship even up to when Anakin goes uh, to meet up with Padme, when Obi-Wan says, no, no, you know, you go have your day, right? Mm-hmm. The, it shows their whole relationship, the way that they communicate. Anakin's not going to leave him behind, right? You could tell Palpatine was like, leave him. Yeah. You know? yeah. Palpatine knows that the only thing that is holding Anakin in the Jedi Order is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. That's it. 
if you get rid of Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's got Anakin completely in his clutches, but he knows that Obi-Wan is that last holdout because Obi-Wan's almost like a nuanced Jedi, right? He's not like, he's not a gray Jedi. Mm -hmm. He's definitely like the model Jedi, but he appreciates, I think, because of Qui-Gon, his relationship with Qui-Gon and his relationship with Anakin, he appreciates where that comes from. And might I say, in the Clone Wars, you learn to appreciate that perspective even more. Just uh, just saying. <laughs> I think there's some dialogue back and forth about Anakin and Obi-Wan, where Anakin's like got frustration about not being on the Jedi Council. And even though the, the Chancellor appoints him, and he's kind of he's counseling Anakin like Anakin. The reason why the Jedi Council doesn't trust you is because you're too close to Pal- Palpatine, and they just don't trust him. You should still feel honored that you're on the council, even though they don't give you the rank of master and all this stuff. So Obi Wan's still trying to counsel and coach Anakin to become a better, to get what he wants out of being a Jedi, right? Yeah, this whole I feel like this whole movie is about his relationship with Obi Wan, mm-hmm. right? And Obi Wan's kind of the stand-in for the the Jedi, yeah. Right, And I used to think that this movie, I used to feel like, ah, it doesn't really show the the fall of Anakin. It doesn't really show. But if, if you look at it, you can see, even if it's not done exceptionally well, you can see what they were going for, right? What that effort was to, to say, you know what? There's, um, you have this conflicted little boy from Tatooine mm-hmm. faced with, everything that's gone wrong he's he's lost everything he's ever loved everyone he's ever loved and now he's worried about losing padme you know this last bastion right Mm -hmm. and now there are still these moments where he feels like obi-wan might be more loyal to the jedi than to anakin and and so then you kind of get this lost little boy from tatooine who ends up falling because he's trying to hold on to as much as he can and he wanted to become a Jedi because he thought that being a Jedi would make him powerful and he wouldn't be a slave. But even though he becomes a Jedi, he finds out that he's still bound by rules and a code and he still, he doesn't have the sense of power and autonomy that he was craving as a slave. He thought, if I could be a Jedi, I'd come back, I'd free all the slaves, I'd have all this power. And then he becomes a Jedi and he's like put on a bodyguard mission. He's getting wrapped up in a political cause and he's not freeing slaves like yep. how he thought he would be. He's not really doing anything good he's yeah. just kind of helping out in a civil war yeah and so you can, if you go back to his earliest conception of what a jedi would do a jedi would be powerful and free slaves mm-hmm. and what are the jedi doing they're kind of relegated to administrative duties and overseeing a war yeah a civil war that's kind of purposeless yeah yeah any any because if if the separatists just separated then you wouldn't have a civil war and on top of that he becomes kind of in charge of clones which are treated a lot like nobodies they don't matter like droids yeah yeah even though they're they're living beings but they're they're treated like droids and you you mentioned before we started recording about that relationship that anakin has to the clones compared to the relationship obi-wan has to the clones Right. So you see that in the opening scene. And I think we'll start getting into how you see the Jedi Order as a fallen order in this movie. It's not shoved right in your face, but you can see how they've become separated from who and what they were supposed to be. So Qui-Gon Jinn in episode one, he saves Jar Jar. He tries to save 
um, Anakin and Shmi, but he can only save Anakin from slavery. Qui-Gon Jinn still holds to the true ideals and purpose of the Jedi, which is to the light side of the Force, which is about life mm-hmm. and protecting and saving life. Whereas you see how the movie starts out, they're on some kind of diplomatic mission, dealing with politics and not Jedi stuff, or what the core of Jedi stuff should be. And then in the opening scene, one of the, the clone trooper S-foils gets shot out of the sky, and Anakin wants to turn back to save them, and Obi-Wan says, nope, they're doing their job so that we can do ours. Focus on the objective. And that's not the Jedi way. Mm-hmm. The Jedi way is about protecting and preserving life, not completing objectives and ticking boxes. Yeah, and I think one thing, the way that the Obi-Wan story is, or not the Obi-Wan story, but the the Qui-Gon story is fulfilled in this movie is at the end, or half-ish way through-ish, when Obi-Wan is talking to Yoda and Yoda says, oh, there's more training for you. Mm -hmm. Qui-Gon is going to show you how to manifest yourself after death through the Force. Mm Mm-hmm. And to to kind of get that closure of like, this is what Qui-Gon has been about the whole time, right? Life, the beauty of individuality, uh, of being able to study and learn and grow as an individual. And then also then to pass that on to Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. He never completed his training. Yeah, right? yeah. But, but now he'll be able to. And one thing talking about this too is obi-wan's relationship to droids and to the clones is very different from anakin's and that's clear in that first scene and then and then it makes sense when in a new hope obi-wan says i don't seem to remember ever owning a droid he didn't obi-wan never thought of himself as owning anything well there's like kind of a when when his uh astro droid on his ship obi-wan's little starfighter blows up he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even know its name, right? But Anakin is deeply concerned with all kinds of life, whether it's his droids that he's made, whether it's the clones he's fighting mm-hmm. with. He cares about everything. Yeah. And where Obi-Wan, like they talk about it in episode one, Obi, you know, Obi-Wan saying to Qui-Gon, they'd promote you to the council if you'd just be more agreeable and stuff like that. But Qui-Gon's got the sense of what the light side of the Force is all about. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't there to guide Anakin to help him learn how to harness his emotions instead of repress them, which is what the Jedi were doing. Mm-hmm. And so Anakin, the Jedi Order failed him. They didn't teach him and help him. They just kind of reluctantly trained him. He reluctantly becomes best friends with Obi-Wan, who didn't want to train him. and then And that's how everything kind of falls apart. So we see in this movie that the Jedi Order is ineffective as well as the Galactic Republic. Mm -hmm. And both things fall at the same time for the same reasons. Yeah. In one of my favorite scenes in the movie, I think it's one of the best scenes. It's also one of the slowest scenes, right? There's there's not crazy lightsaber battles happening or anything, but Anakin goes to Mace Windu and and he, he says, hey, you know, and we all knew Mace Windu sucks. He's a dirtbag. And uh, him and Anakin have never gotten along. Mm-hmm. He goes up to Mace Windu. He's thinking, I'm doing the right thing as a Jedi. I am go- I'm going to be a good Jedi. And I'm going to tell my superior, I'm going to tell Master Windu, uh, Palpatine is the Sith Lord we've been looking for for the past 20 years. You know, we found him. He goes and tells him, and then Mace Windu says, you wait here. And he goes off with these other masters. 
and he's told to wait in the council chambers. So he goes and kind of has this meditative experience and it's intercut with Padme and with Mace Windu and the other Jedi heading up uh, to collect, to arrest the, the Chancellor. You really feel in that moment the conflict. Like the movie lets you feel that conflict that Anakin's feeling. He's torn between the Jedi. He's torn between his responsibilities. He's torn between the people he loves like Padme and their future children. He is being torn apart. And I think that scene does just the perfect job. Just giving you that like, oh, this is the turning point. We know exactly what he's thinking about. I one Like the dialogue that happens is Anakin says the Senate, uh, Chancellor's the Sith Lord. And Mace Windu says, I will go confront him. And if what you've told me is true, then I'll know I can trust you. Well, if Mace Windu's in tune with the Force, why can't he sense the honesty and integrity of what Anakin's telling him? Is that the Jedi kind of without knowing it, by becoming more bureaucratic and rigid, have removed themselves from the force and they keep talking about that through the movies that the dark side clouds everything but they're not doing anything to bring the light do you know what i mean yeah yeah i i think it's less the dark side clouding everything and just the short-sightedness that just the blindness of the jedi that, that keeps them from seeing what's going on right under their noses i mean does mace really think that anakin would just casually betray palpatine mace knows that he's close to him and there's like there's other weird like, why would he tell you he's a Sith Lord if he's not? Right. There's this, we're fearful of how much power the Emperor is trying to consolidate. And we're also looking for a Sith Lord. <laughs> but there's no chance these two things could be related. Not at all. No, absolutely one, not. One, you know, the Sith are ancient enemy who have always tried to consolidate power. Mm-hmm. There's no way that this other guy who's trying to consolidate power could possibly be the evil warlord. <laughs> no. Right? That's ridiculous. You And then that's the scene right after where you get that turn. Palpatine takes off, you know, t- takes out these three Jedi, which went out like suckers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was yeah. incredibly disappointed. <laughs> they did nothing. And then, and then Mace holds him off and gets him down. But Palpatine holds himself. He waits. Palpatine, I mean, incredible patience throughout this whole movie. All these moments where he could have come out and done something. He could have come out and made something happen but he lets things kind of play out just just so that he slowly leads anakin down this path Mm -hmm. and anakin of course comes to the rescue and he comes and he saves his new master darth sidious so there's a couple things in this scene that tie into the opening scene so i think the hubris of the jedi is illustrated the best when obi-wan says to the to emperor palpatine in the opening scene Palpatine says about Dooku, be careful, he's a Sith Lord. And Obi-Wan says, unironically, Sith Lords are our speciality. (laughs) While he's talking to the Supreme Sith Lord and doesn't even realize it, right? Mm -hmm. Some expert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when the Emperor, after uh, Anakin cuts off Dooku's hands, before he cuts off his head, he says, no, he should stand trial for his crimes. And the Emperor says, he's too dangerous to be kept alive. And Anakin says, that's not the Jedi way. And then he still cuts his head off. And he's really torn up about killing this unarmed man, right? Mm -hmm. And saying it's not against the Jedi way. And then he walks into the room with Mace Windu and the Emperor. And he he sees the Emperor is being weakened and disarmed. And Mace Windu says he's too evil to be kept alive or too powerful to be kept alive. 
Yeah. And that's the same thing that Palpatine told Anakin. And now it's being said back to him by the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So the Jedi are telling him to do things that are not the Jedi way. And he's looked up to the Jedi, but he's starting to lose faith in them. And now Mace Windu says it all. And Anakin doesn't need to know anything more. And Mace Windu goes to kill Palpatine and Anakin cuts off Mace Windu's hand. And I think these scenes with the removal of hands, like Lucas has just said, people have asked him, like, why do you cut off so many hands? And he just says, when you play with swords, you you get your hand cut off. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, whether it's intentional or not, it's become symbolic of severing a bond. And in that moment, when he cuts off Mace Windu's hand, he has severed his connection to the Jedi. Yeah. And that's, that's when it's over. That's when he becomes Darth Vader. Well, Anakin's not dead yet. Anakin's not dead yet, but he is his, Darth Vader. Darth Vader's and, there now. And he still has feelings for Obi-Wan. He's still connected to Obi-Wan. It's just his connection to the Jedi organization is done. It's over. He's done with the Jedi now. And then he go. next thing he does is he goes to the Jedi Temple and kills the younglings. Which I, I feel like is one scene they, they could have done a lot more to bring more gravitas to it you know to really illustrate how awful this is but i mean how much can you do in like a children's movie i guess but that's the thing like he's still got to sell merchandise right and you can't sell merchandise if you make a movie that kids can't go see right 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 yeah i, <laughs> I want I an r-rated revenge of the sith remake the sith. yeah don't you wouldn't be the first person asking for a rem- remake on this movie so okay i want to address a, a criticism uh, that that people have made about Revenge of the Sith. So at the honest at the end of the honest trailer for this movie, they say something along the lines of, "Oh, so Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader because he couldn't quite jump high enough." And I just want to say that's how he got the suit. <laughs> he became Darth Vader through all these other little things that led up to it. For the past two movies, you you watch the whole prequel trilogy. And you can see how it's leading up, right? They set up his expectations like we talked about in, in Phantom Menace. And then he, he starts to become conflicted in Attack of the Clones, realizes this isn't what he was expecting. And it comes to a head in episode three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that doesn't make people laugh. So yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know it's a, it's a, it's a good joke and it did make me laugh. I just wanted to say it i just yeah, no. you know i need okay. to defend defend uh defend george's <laughs> okay. honor so moving on so next thing i want to jump into which we've started talking about is symbols and symbolism in this movie so we talked about the symbolism of severing hands severing a connection to something so anakin has severed his connection to the jedi as an organization and as a way of life uh, by cutting off mace windu's hand something else his robes are all black and i know luke in return of the jedi has all black robes as well Mm -hmm. um and i think that was something they did in return of the jedi to show luke may choose the dark side it's kind of edgy and he he force chokes those pigmen right in uh jabba's cave so luke's on the edge wearing these black robes we see that again with anakin wearing these black robes but of course, because we know the conclusion, we know where that's going. I remember watching uh, trailers and little like uh, featurettes on Revenge of the Sith before it came out. And when they grew out his hair and he's doing these, they're showing these lightsaber scenes, but like behind the scenes on the green screen and stuff like that. And I see it. I'm like, holy crap, did they capture Mark Hamill just with that hair? 
Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about right? that. I was really seeing like essence of Mark Hamill. And so this kind of connection between Luke and Anakin, uh, just with how they did the, the hair and makeup. But uh, the black robes being a symbolism of his turn, eventual turn to the black, dark side. And then also rhyming with uh, Return of the Jedi when uh, Luke is wearing uh, black robes or black outfit at the start as well. Mm-hmm. Also, in terms of like lighting, scenes with lighting, Anakin's always standing in the dark. Anytime you have contrasted lighting, Anakin's always standing in the shadows. So when Obi-Wan leaves him at the Senate, Obi-Wan's standing in the shuttle in the light and Anakin's standing in the shadow of the Senate. Yeah, and he, he, and he walks in. He walks into the shadows. He walks into the darkness. Yeah. And yeah, the first thing he does in the shadows, under the shadow of a pillar, is he hugs Padme and she tells him that she's pregnant. I think there's other scenes where he's talking to Yoda and it's behind blinds and you see alternating light and dark over his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of good scenes with lighting, uh, with darkness, with this theme of turning to the dark. Uh, another one, General Grievous as foreshadowing for Darth Vader. I thought that was great. I loved it. Even his cough, his trouble with his respiratory system, um, and then getting shot with the lightsaber and burning up. And that's awesome, I think, in a lot of ways because... In A New Hope, Obi-Wan talks about a lightsaber not being clumsy or random like a blaster and being an elegant weapon for a more civilized age. And then when he kills Grievous, Grievous, he shoots Grievous in the heart with a blaster and then Grievous's body burns up underneath the metal. It's a very savage, brutal death, you know, for a clumsy and random weapon, not an elegant, civilized method of execution, right? Which I thought was great. And yeah, and then he tosses it to the side. So uncivilized. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I love how many lines are repeated movie to movie. I think by by the time they you know make the final Star Wars film, it's just going to be lines from the old movies recycled. I noticed in A New Hope, I think it was was it Han who says this is where the fun begins, and then Anakin says that. Oh, I didn't catch that one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'll have to look for it. It was either... It, I, I think it was Han who said that in A New Hope. And then Anakin says that at the very beginning of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, like episodes 10, 11, and 12 will probably just be like a bunch of people coming on screen saying, I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> no, I got a bad feeling about this. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> It's like Will Smith movies in the early 2000s. It, you may as well have just had Will Smith walk on screen and say, Ah, oh, hell no! <laughs> that was like every Will Smith movie from like 1990 till, I don't know, when he started doing, probably till uh, I Am Legend. Anyway, <laughs> that's what episode 10, 11, 12 will be. Yeah. Just people coming on screen saying, I got a bad feeling about this. All right. Uh, any other symbols you can think of? I've got a few more. Um, I don't think any more symbols, no. There's the descent into hell on Mustafar, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. like one scene, and it almost makes me laugh when when the emperor is like, go to Mustafar and kill the separatist leaders. <laughs> <laughs> and then it like just cuts to this scene. It goes from like Obi-Wan and Padme yeah. at, at a sunset in Coruscant. And then all of a sudden it's, they're like, I wonder where Anakin is. And yeah. And then he's like killing the Nemoidians and yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, and and I love Palpatine the whole time. He's like playing both sides. He's like, 
go go to Mustafa. You'll be safe there. I'll send my apprentice to you know help you. Whatever. Right? Take care of you. To take care of you. Yeah. And then the, he shows up. It's like, dude, you trusted a guy wearing a dark black robe hiding his face. <laughs> what like? What did you think was going think to happen? It was going to happen. Yeah. And then and especially you show up to a lava planet. Like these guys are idiots. <laughs> Nothing could be more ominous than a lava planet, right? Seriously, send me to Naboo or something, something nice that doesn't have sand, you know? You know, and that would have been good if they entered a nice planet and then kept descending into a a volcan underground volcano. Mm -hmm. But anyway, enough people have talked about what could or should have been. I, but I think that just you feel like you're descending into hell mm -hmm. as these things get worse and, and, and worse, right? Um, and I remember like that lightsaber, it's... It's like a 20-minute lightsaber duel. And it's epic. It's, it is really good. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, yeah, I can watch it again and again and again. It's I think so they good. reduced the CGI in it. One thing that I thought was interesting was Anakin can't bring himself to force choke Obi-Wan. throughout. And there's one scene where he's got Obi-Wan's hands and he's pushing him back. And I think, like, why doesn't he start choking him here or do something? To cry, but he can't bring himself to do it. I don't yeah. know if that's intentional or not. Yeah, but he's know. got Obi-Wan in a very uh, vulnerable position, and he can't bring himself to do something powerful with the Force to kill him. Because he could. Yeah, he could have. He was he was getting, you know, he's becoming aware of his powers with the Force. The next part, the, this, uh, the high ground. So Obi-Wan standing on the high ground, metaphorically as well as literally. But this has been analyzed and overanalyzed that this actually ties back to episode one where Obi-Wan was in the same situation with Darth Maul and he does his super jump and does a flip over and then lands behind him and stabs him. And so you've got Obi-Wan saying to Anakin, don't try it because he knows what Anakin, Anakin's going to try and do what he did when he killed Darth Maul. And this, the story of Obi-Wan killing Darth Maul is something that must have been immortalized in Jedi lore and training, right? It's probably something Anakin would have studied as a Padawan. And you know what? If they put a tiny scene in Attack of the Clones with the younglings studying and analyzing that fight, that probably would have been a better nod and tie into this little scene here, right? Yeah. And, well, and there are a ton of things that show that Obi-Wan learns. He, he says, oh, I've seen this before. Oh, you know, I know how this happens. And, and he's always learning from his experience. It's not enough to stop Anakin from falling to the dark side completely. He, he learns these things and he adapts from these things, right? He realizes consequences. You know, just because you have the high ground doesn't mean the battle's over. It means you have to pay attention. And he does. He knows exactly what Anakin's about to do. He knows exactly what Anakin's about to try and how to counter it. And so he counters it and severs Anakin's limbs. And that is, uh, well, that's how he knows that Darth Vader's more machine now than man, is because he's the one who did it to him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other thing is, is now Obi-Wan has severed his connection to Anakin. He's walking away from Anakin. Anakin is, in his mind, dead. He's gone. Yeah, and then you see Anakin burn up. And the last remnants of Anakin Skywalker are gone now and burned away and he is fully Darth Vader. Um, and then the other battle that frequently gets forgotten about is Yoda and Darth Sidious battling in the Senate. As the, the Chancellor's pulpit or whatever rises 
The Senate chairs are falling and being dragged and crushed. The Republic's being torn apart by by the forces of the Jedi and the Sith. That I hadn't caught it's, on. But that yeah, is... it's not just it's not just Palpatine tearing it down. It's the Jedi, and and Yoda is that stand-in in that scene for all the Jedi. Right? He's taking it apart too. He's helped in this destruction because of his his blindness. You have that scene earlier in the movie where Yoda's talking to Anakin and saying, just let go of everything. Just practice letting go. It's easy. It's so easy. Just let go. But it, it's so much more complicated than that. And Anakin's conflicted because he cares about people. That's his whole character mm-hmm. is he cares about people. Which is the same as Qui-Gon. That's why Qui-Gon saved him. Mm-hmm. And then you have Yoda just saying, just let go. Just let go. And just showing the blindness of the Jedi to a, a lack of understanding and appreciation of what it means to love somebody, what it means to actually care instead of, you know, becoming just part of the bureaucracy. It's hard to be a peacekeeper without, uh, you know, caring about the people you're keeping the peace for. And you just become these robotic law-giving automatons. Maybe that's part of the reason why they fight against droids is to show how mechanized and just everybody's a robot in this and ineffective. They're all slaves. Yeah. yeah. We're all slaves. <laughs> okay. Uh, any other thoughts on this movie? Oh, I wanted to mention deleted scenes. Oh, right. The deleted scenes. Yes. So one, one scene that I really wish had been included is the scene with Mon Mothma, Padme, Bail Organa setting up the basically what would become the rebel alliance saying we we don't like this they're resisting the change the transition into the empire and them getting together as senators and as leaders to basically i mean set up the next three movies but also one thing that i really like about this is it shows padme was like still doing stuff Mm -hmm. she wasn't just hiding away in their apartment in their super fancy apartment on coruscant she was actively fighting against this and i mean really really sounding like a separatist Mm -hmm. she was really working towards that and and still trying to create change and actually make things better politically the way that she knew how um other deleted scenes i know there's some with uh anakin and uh obi-wan as they're walking through grievous's ship at the start of the movie it's just more playful banter and i think they could have kept that in and it just would have helped reinforce that these two guys are now friends right um, so that would have been some, and they weren't long either. So it, it kind of makes me sad that they took him out. Um, another one executing that Jedi. Executing Shakti. Shakti. Yeah. So there's one deleted scene where they have Grievous do it. There's another deleted scene where they have Anakin do it. I think either way, I think seeing Anakin kill like a real Jedi would have been great. Yeah. I think that would have really some, added. Yeah. Other, like, cause he didn't actually kill a real Jedi the yeah. whole time. He just killed younglings. And he only dismembered Mace Windu, right? Palpatine shocked him out the window. He's still out there. Yeah, he survived that fall. <laughs> climbing, yeah, climbing through the sewers of Coruscant. Yeah, so other than that, I think that's our kind of summary and thoughts on Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith holds a special place in my heart. It came out in May 2005, a few months before I finished high school. At this point in my life, I'd been dating the same girl since grade 10. Truly a marvel of teenage maturity. Either that or a lesson in codependency. My parents being religious and ever fearful that if I did not adhere to a strict curfew, I would undoubtedly get my girlfriend pregnant, always expected me home promptly at 11 p.m. if I was out with her. But as high school came to a close, 
and my then-girlfriend was still not pregnant, my parents loosened up a bit. My dad got two tickets for the Revenge of the Sith Thursday midnight showing and gave them to me and told me to take my girlfriend out for some fun. Totally PG fun. Nowadays, movies essentially open on Thursdays, but back in 2005, the Thursday midnight showing was actually at midnight. This was a major step forward in terms of independence. My parents showed a lot of trust in me, trust that I'd earned over the years by not getting anyone pregnant. They let me go out on a school night with a girl by ourselves to see a movie premiere at midnight, knowing I wouldn't come home until 3 or 4 in the morning, knowing that I had school the next day. I remember getting to the theater in street clothes, feeling embarrassed and awkward that I wasn't in full cosplay. This was also in the days before assigned seats, so we had to get there at like 10 p.m. to wait in line to get into the theater by 11 p.m. and get the best seats. While waiting for the movie to start, some guy dressed up as Obi-Wan and some other guy dressed up as a generic Sith Lord started having a lightsaber duel in the front of the theater. Obi-Wan's lightsaber couldn't withstand the blows of the mighty generic Sith Lord and it quickly fell apart. Our two would-be combatants quickly made their exit stage left. By the end of the movie, I remember feeling totally satisfied. It was possibly my favorite Star Wars movie of all time. It's hard to pull away the memory of independence and moving into adulthood from the memory of seeing this movie. And for that reason, it will probably always be my favorite Star Wars movie.